0: Hello everyone, this is Brian Macias and welcome to episode 2 of Strive, Struggle, Succeed. In Strive, Struggle, Succeed, I seek out and talk with people who I believe to be top performers in their career, but also have great balance in their lives. So they're strong spouses, they're strong parents, community members, have great relationships, uh, have some kind of faith or spirituality, um, and I attempt to break it down uh, to create a roadmap, not just for myself, but for anyone who's listening to maybe have something to model and have some great ideas and some nuggets that they can take and pull into their lives uh, as they strive, struggle, and succeed uh, with their careers and their families and their communities. Uh, in this episode, I chat with Patrick McGinnis. Now, Pat is a former president of Quicken Loans. He's also the former CEO of Fathead. And I say former because uh, in his 50s, he's retired already. So when I reached Pat, uh, he was finishing up uh, hanging out in his spa and uh, figuring out what he was going to do for the rest of the day. Uh, in talking to Pat, uh, he really breaks down the path of his career, the choices that they made early on for their family and their partnership, Uh, with his wife Julie and uh, I thought the best part was just his leadership philosophy you know I'll I'll admit I've worked for Pat in the past he's one of the best and probably my favorite leader that I've had Um, and I learned so much from him so uh, there's so many great nuggets here and he's such a great guy so I hope everybody enjoys the show Uh, without further ado Patrick McGinnis
1: And, and I know your history for the most part, and I know the family. But I'm going to be introducing you like to all these folks who don't, right? So, if you do me a favor and just kind of, you know, walk us through, like, you know, who who's in the family, how old are the kids, and you know, give us kind of the play-by-play.
2: You know, I've been married for 26 years to my wife Julie, and we have four kids: uh, Haley, who is 25 years old; Spencer, who is 23 years old; Parker, who is 21. And Hannah, who is 20, they are in college. Three of them are in college, actually. I have uh, two boys that play college football, one at Miami University and the other at Grand Valley. And my daughter graduated from Michigan State, and she worked for Tom Izzo for four years. So very athletically inclined family. Oh, and my daughter, Hannah, she's also working for the Miami football team. So (laughs) definitely a sports family. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no doubt. And where do they get that from?
2: Oh, absolutely their mom. <laughs> Obviously, the truth is, I was a pretty good football player, Brian. Played at uh, Flint Powers High School and then went on to play at Eastern Michigan.
1: No doubt. And Julie's athletic too, right?
2: She's very athletic. She's a runner, you know, triathlon, She can swim. She's fast. So very, very athletically gifted, which certainly I think the combination led to us having uh, two college athletes, no question.
1: Tell me a little bit about how you and Julie met.
2: So I met Julie at Eastern Michigan. And as I said, I played football there. So every day we had to walk through the intramural building to get to the football weight room. So when you walk through the intramural building, you had to show your university ID. And Julie was the person who would check those IDs. And so... We would always just have a friendly conversation She's a very outgoing person. She was then and probably even more so now. And uh, she will talk to you until you fall asleep. But, uh, you know, so when we walked through there, she would always talk to me. And so we started having conversations. And then, you know, after she would get done from work, we'd go to the upstairs in the intramural building. They had like a little bar area where you could sit around and do your homework. And we'd go up there. And uh, next thing you know, we went on a date. And then uh, never looked back. 26 years later, it's
1: awesome. 26 congratulations. 26 years is amazing. Thank you, sir. Patrick, tell us about you know your career a little bit. You know, how did you after you graduated from Eastern? You know, what was your first job? How did you move up through the ranks? Can you tell us a little bit about your career path?
2: Absolutely. So I didn't graduate from Eastern, Brian. I played football there, and I did most of my academic career there, but. At the time I was playing football, I was very focused on my social skills versus academics. So my grade point was, uh, you know, it was a 1.9, probably one-tenth less than I would have been a plant. And so I had to transfer to Saginaw Valley State University, move home uh, once I was done playing football at Eastern and really focus on school. So I went, moved home, graduated from Saginaw Valley with honors. So that was a big accomplishment for me. So... From there, I was trying to figure out what to do with my career. Uh, my mother wanted me to be an attorney, always did, and, and certainly I was trying to live her dream somewhat, and then I realized that I really didn't want to go down that path. I took the LSAT, got accepted in law school, but decided that's not what I wanted to do. So I wanted to get into a career that would afford me the opportunity to move up as quickly as my abilities would allow me to. So. You know, I was looking for something commission based, sales based. So I looked at insurance, so I looked at stocks and bonds, you know, Series 6. And then my sister in law was uh, cutting Dan Gilbert's hair at the time. And she said, Hey, I have a friend who opened a mortgage company. Why don't you go talk to him? So I went and uh, met with Dan and I got hired on the spot. It was uh, 100% commission, uh, no base salary whatsoever. So it was all based on your performance. So You know, be careful what you ask for, right? My wife was a little nervous because, you know, we're right out of college, 100% commission. But uh, so I took that job as a mortgage banker in 1993 with Rock Financial. Did pretty well. By 1994, I saw an opportunity for me to go up in the Genesee County area where I was from because born and raised in Flint, Michigan, I was going to have an opportunity to put mortgage offices inside real estate offices, something that was a unique concept at the time. Because in 1993, it was the lowest that interest rates had come in in probably 30 years, and so it was a refinance craze. And I wanted to make this something that was sustainable, not just you know following a market for a short period of time, but something that I could create a career out of. So I realized that people will always be buying homes. So I approached Dan about. Creating an office out in Fenton, Michigan, in a, real, in a Century 21 office, and uh, he was good with it. So, you know, I started there, and then eventually I opened another office in Grand Blanc within a Century 21. Then I opened another office in inside of a, a Remax out in Heartland, and so those three offices were very successful. So I did that from 1994 through 1998, and I was a producing leader at the time. So. I would actually lead people, and I was also writing loans. So uh, I was doing double duty. I did that until 1998. At that time, I was asked to run the entire sales force in 1998, which at that point, I stopped writing loans and then was just straight leadership at that point. And I did that from 1998 through 2002. I was the vice president of sales for Rock Financial 2002, or in 2000, excuse me, we sold the company to Intuit. And at that point, um, I was still the head of sales. I did that for two more years until 2002. And then at that point, we bought the company back from uh, Intuit, which that company became Quicken Loans. And when we bought the company back in 2002, I became the president of uh, Rock Financial and Quicken Loans. So I did that from 2002 through 2009. At which point, uh, along that during that span of time, we bought a company called Fathead. So, and in 2009, after we came out of the mortgage crisis, I went over to Fathead and became the CEO. Which I did that until um, September of 2016. At which point, I retired, and uh, here I am today talking to you.
1: It's amazing. As you went through all of those you know, different opportunities and progress through the organization. Like what, what motivated you most and what got you most excited about continuing
2: to, to drive forward? Well, the thing that excited me the most was helping others achieve their goals and dreams. That's always been my motivation since day one is that from a leadership standpoint, if I could really understand my people, understand what motivates them, understand what they're trying to achieve in life, Because life, you know, whether it's work or outside of work, it all goes together. It's all the same. So I've always taken this holistic approach that I wanted someone to be very successful inside and outside of work. And I needed to understand what they wanted out of life. And, uh, I always took, a, or I always made a concerted effort to, to understand each individual and help them achieve those goals and dreams. And that is exactly, you know, if I were to say, what is the one thing that motivated me on a daily basis, it was that. Now, there were a lot of other things, the excitement of, you know, achieving certain production goals, whether it's mortgages or selling fat heads. But at the end of the day, it's all about helping make people great. Because as a leader, if you're helping others make people great, you yourself will become great. And that's always been my focus. And that's always been my, you know, driving motivation on a daily basis.
1: Patrick, who did you have any key mentors or people who deeply influenced like who you are and what you believe in and, and how you're committed to work in life?
2: yeah at, you know at different points of my life I've had different people that were more influential than others of course my parents uh, specifically my, my mother was very influential at, at you know during the early stage the very formative stages because she was an individual that hurt herself had went through a lot of adversity at a very young age she was a war bride she was uh, she's from Italy she was in World War II, and she lost everything she had. The family had to hide in a cave for months. Uh, she was shot. She was a prisoner of war. So she had to come overcome a lot of adversity. So those lessons that she learned, she instilled in me just in terms of, you know, persevering through challenges, accepting people for who they are, you know, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Chinese, Japanese, whatever you are, like accept people for who they are and see the good in them. So she was very influential then. I had some high school football coaches who certainly taught me discipline and focus. And then in my work life, uh, I, I'd say my number one mentor is Steve Piazza. Steve was a leader at Rock Financial and Quicken Loans, and, and Steve taught me the value of really understanding people and what motivates people and what people want out of life, whether it's family or work and understanding that whole picture, because he would always stress, if I could gain better understanding of of the total picture, that I would be better suited to help someone become successful. And so Steve, I, I would have to say, was definitely... An individual that had a tremendous amount of influence on my leadership style over the years.
1: You know, I obviously first I have firsthand experience with you, like in the workplace, with everything that you're saying. Like, tell me about some of the things like outside of work, some of the passions and accomplishments that you've had throughout your life that, you know, some of the things you're proud of outside of work.
2: Well, probably the things that I'm most proud of is a lot of the philanthropic work I've done outside of my day-to-day job, specifically with the Boys and Girls Club of Flint. Uh, Being from Flint, I have a passion for the city and and helping the city become great again. Uh, Flint has went through some tough times, especially as the auto industry exited Flint. Uh, It fell on tough times from an unemployment standpoint. Crime is on the rise. Literacy was, is a big issue. Uh, the graduation rate is extremely low in Flint. So I, I really felt this strong desire to help the youth of Flint, and that has been my focus for the last, I'd say, 20 years. And uh, I do a lot with the Boys and Girls Club. They have an award that's named in, in my honor, the Patrick McGinnis Community Hero Award that's given out each year to the individual that uh, has committed themselves to the youth of Flint and helping the youth of Flint thrive and become successful adults. And so that's that's been, I would say, my primary passion. Uh, outside of, you know, the Boys and Girls Club, I've also been involved in other charities, uh, whether it's in Detroit or, you know, others in the Flint area. You know, over 20 years, I've, Taking out a lot of kids and I mentor them as they've moved on in life, and I've set up a scholarship fund where I try to send anywhere from six to eight. Uh, young men and women to uh, Flint Powers, which is a, a private Catholic school. So with the demise of Flint, the public school system in Flint has, has fallen on hard times as well. So I've tried to take kids who have exhibited a desire to to learn at a high level, and I made a commitment to them, and I put them in Powers for four years and pay for their education. So that recently has also been a big focus of mine. So I would say that's that's you know the, the biggest uh, area of focus for me outside of you know I have other interests that are for me personally such as you know at, working out I'm I'm big a uh, big fitness guy and, and certainly spend a lot of time because I in the gym because I do feel that that aids in my my mental uh health as well too it's a very important part of my life
1: So first of all it's amazing and I mean listen the, the reason I'm talking to you is because You know, I'm getting more detail into it right now, but I certainly knew from the outside, you know, you're obviously a great business leader, you're a great husband, a great father. You have these passions in the community and you do great stuff. I mean, it's a lot, right? These are a lot of roles that you juggle. You know, how do you how do you do it? Like, how do you go about juggling all these roles?
2: Well, Brian, I don't know that I do necessarily a great job of it, but uh, it seems like I'm always running behind or I'm on the fly <laughs> moving appointments. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that I, you know, I look at life and I say, what are my priorities? So number one is family. Uh, number two is, you know, as I said, helping youth, particularly in Flint, but I mentor many other kids from the Detroit area as well, too. So, you know, you have to make things a priority. And so what I try to do, if there's a family event, that takes precedent. And so I have to, you know, rearrange my schedule. If, it, if I have to meet with some kids or have meetings, that comes first. And then second is, you know, once those obligations are fulfilled, then I move on to my next passion, which is kids. And then, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a funnel. It's, it's very difficult at times. Uh, I feel like, you know, I've always struggled with quality as well because from a a time standpoint, I didn't have quantity, right? My time was filled on a regular basis. So I had to make sure that whenever I have interactions with people, whether it's my family, whether it's kids, whether it's in the business world, that I would have quality interactions. So while I may not always be able to give the amount of time I wish I could I do believe that it's not always about you know quantity; that it's about quality. And so, when I'm present, I'm present. I give people my undivided attention and focus, and uh, that's how I've balanced it over the years. It's not a perfect science. It's something I, I call it a work in progress. Every day, managing your schedule, and even now that I'm retired, it seems that I feel like I'm busier now than I, than when I was at work. You know, with family stuff, especially. So. Uh, again, it's, it's about quality though. You know, I try to, when I'm present, I'm present and, uh, that helps in the prioritization of, you know, once I decide this is what I'm going to do, I try to do it as best I can.
1: So Patrick, when you were working, you know, what did your schedule look like? And I'm sure it changed over time, right? When the, when the kids were younger and they were involved in football and sports, I mean, I know that you were really active in that. So like over time, like, so first of all, how did your schedule look? And then, you know, did it change over time?
2: So, as I said, my family was always my priority. So, you do have to provide for your family and put meals on the table. So, work has to be right at at the top of that priority list. So, I'm not going to say that it was easy. It was always a challenge. But, you know, on any given day, I would show up at the office uh, anywhere from, you know, six to eight. I'm an early riser. So, I always try to get in early and get a lot done early, especially when all the kids were smaller and in sports because the one thing... I always said I would do was never miss an event, whether it was athletic or whether it was school event, whatever it was, I would never miss an event. Now, I wasn't home a lot. I was away from the kids an awful lot. But the one thing they will always remember is that I showed up at every event. So I would always get in early, try to get a lot done early. If I had to run out like mid to late afternoon, I would literally run out, go to the event, come back. And uh, resume working at that point. Or if it was something at the end of the day, I would try to get in even earlier. That's generally when I would get in at six, try to get more done in the first half of the day, because it was very important for me that I had to leave at you know five thirty, six o'clock to to see a sporting event or a school event. And so I, you know, I was, I was very fortunate in the sense that I did have a little bit of flexibility to move my schedule around accordingly, but that's something I made a, a big, a, the top priority. It's something that I communicated to the leaders I had to report to. And, and they, you know, obviously they afforded me that opportunity because obviously I was very productive and I was able to get my work done as, as needed. So I was given that flexibility, which You know, for me, it was very rewarding because I did not miss events. And uh, my kids will remember that forever.
1: Love it. And so for things that you did for yourself, you'd mentioned exercising and working out. And, you know, I I know that you're big into that and always have been. You know, how did you fit that in? Was it scheduled or was it kind of just squeezed in when you could do it? How did you approach that?
2: Well, I did schedule it in. Uh, Typically, for most of my working years, I would try to do it in the morning. So I would have that blocked in the morning, like, look, this is the time I'm going to the gym, or I would move it to afternoon. But I did try to have set times where I could uh, move out of the office and work out because I felt if I didn't block it off in my calendar, it would fill up very quickly. And it's one of those things where it's a priority. So I had to make sure it was in my calendar so that other things didn't take precedent. And so definitely would always try to block that time off. Wasn't a perfect science again, you know, because sometimes things that were more pressing that I had to address at work would come up, and I'd have to deal with it and deal with my schedule accordingly. But certainly, I think with exercising, it, it has to be something you plan for from a mental standpoint as well as protecting your schedule.
1: So obviously, you know, having a strong partner, and, and you and Julie have been married for 26 years, and having four kids. I mean, she's obviously a big part of it. Like. Did you guys have like an agreed upon like hey th- this is how we divide up responsibilities and this is what we're going to do to you know get through the days and the weeks and the months and the years? How how does that partnership work and how did it work when the kids were younger?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We had to have an understanding uh, because you know I was working twelve, thirteen, fourteen hours a day. I'd get home sometimes ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock at night, and so you had to have an understanding. And and the understanding was that I was going to go out and try to create. A very successful life for us so that our kids could have to experience things that, that we couldn't because my wife also came from a very modest upbringing and she would take care of the homestead and I would put meals on the table and that was the agreement. And I think that's very important, especially when you're in a job that requires a lot of time because I, you know, and I do believe if you're going to be successful in life, there is a time commitment and we had to have an understanding there because if we didn't, it would be very contentious. And our marriage probably wouldn't have lasted. And I've seen that happen to people. And so she understood what it was going to take for me to be successful. She was willing to make that commitment, supported that commitment, took care of the homestead. And as I said, though, I tried to be present at certain key events. And when I was present, I tried to be very focused and uh you know dialed in on what was happening in front of me, so again, it wasn't always quantity, but it was quality, and that was the agreement we had and and it served us well. We have four great kids that have all went on to do amazing things, whether it's sports or academics, and so i um, I'm very blessed that I had someone that was in a partnership. That's how she viewed it. I viewed it that way, she viewed it that way and it was very effective
1: so so acknowledging that partnership, and then you'd also said that you know we see the opposite right we see people who who end up divorced and it just doesn't work out and this is a big reason that I'm I'm doing this research project right is is I really want to understand you know what what keeps it together when you've got you know the, the demands that you and I have had on our careers and and we want to stay married and have a family you know it's it's difficult and so do you got do you have any points that you can reference when maybe it was difficult or there were some things that you know there were outside pressures from other people who maybe didn't understand the, the the arrangement that you guys had or your relationship. Did you ever feel like you guys had to justify what you were doing?
2: No, I never felt that pressure, I think, again, because we had a great marriage, or we have a great marriage it's It was something where because of that time commitment on my end and I was gone so often, or you know a number of hours each day we had to do things that would continue to help our relationship. And so, you know, for example, we would have nights where it was just for us to call it date night, where we would go out, you know, pick the day. We'd look at our schedules and figure out when that could happen. And, you know, that was very important. And then also, as I mentioned before, uh, quality. So whenever I would talk to my wife on the phone or, Whenever we did have a few moments together in the evening when I got home, I tried to make it meaningful. We tried to discuss, you know, what happened in the day. And I wanted her to have a voice in terms of what was going on with the kids and the household. And certainly if there was anything I could do to offer advice to you know, work through whatever the, the situation was in front of us. Because as you can imagine, with four kids, there's going to be issues along the way. So, uh, you know, communication was absolutely the key Uh, great communication, great listening, and then, you know, picking your moments to have time together. And so I think from the outside, we never really faced any sort of criticism of how we did things. If anything, I think people respected how we handled our relationship and looked up to us.
1: I I would agree with that wholeheartedly. So you, you had mentioned date nights, Was there a specific frequency or a specific night, or was it kind of just where you guys could fit it in, you would really make the effort to do that?
2: We just made the effort to fit it in because, again, with four kids all playing sports year round, my busy work schedule, we had to be somewhat fluid. We try to do it generally like on Thursdays was was a big time for us during the week. So we try Thursdays, but sometimes that wouldn't work. But we did make a commitment that at least once during the week, uh, we had to you know, try to do something as a couple.
1: I like that. So, Patrick, you know, what, what are the lessons? So kind of reflecting and, and looking back and lessons learned, like what are the lessons for someone like me who wants to do it all, right? Who want, I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father. I want to be a great leader to my people. I want to be involved in my community. You know, what, what are the lessons I should take in?
2: You know, it's I live by something called care, trust, and loyalty, and that, to me, transcends all aspects of your life. And if I were to summarize what's the best advice I can give someone, is one, you have to prioritize, right? I mean, you have to say what comes first, you know? And, and again, you know, as I said to you earlier, it was family, it was work, and then, you know, anything else I could do to to help others fell in there and then take care of myself, so there was a sort of a waterfall in terms of priorities. But regardless of what phase of your life you're, you're working in that, at that moment, you know, I live by something called care, trust, and loyalty. And what that means is that when I was in front of people, I would take interest in people. So whether it's on the philanthropic side, whether it's work, whether it's family, and I always try to understand, learn about people, ask questions to hear what is going on in their life, You know, certainly if I could offer any advice, I would, but just listening, uh, taking interest in people. And I think through that, through work, friends, family, then you create this trust between the individual you're, you're dealing with. And once there's trust created, then loyalty is created. And I've created loyalty at work, created loyalty within my family, I've created loyalty within the philanthropic world. And so I've lived by those three things. And so whatever interaction I have, whether it's a quick interaction, a long interaction, I've always tried to take interest in people, show that I care Build some trust with the individuals, especially if it's an ongoing type relationship. And when you do that, you you create uh, a loyalty that um, will help you, will serve you well in life, especially in the workplace, because people are willing to follow you at that point. And that's, you know, that's the best advice I can give people because it transcends all aspects of life.
1: If you could do it all over again, is there anything that you would do differently?
2: If I could do it all over again, you know... Brian, I live my life with no regress. Some people always say, I wish I would have. I don't live life that way. I go, okay, probably should have done it this way, but I didn't. And so to me, those times when you're saying, man, I wish I would have did this a little differently, I look at it as a learning experience. You know, as a kid, I made certain mistakes and wow, if I could have done it all over. I don't live life like that at all. I say, this is where I'm at today because of the decisions I made. I made obviously a lot of great ones. I made some that were so-so, but I have no regrets, and I I really wouldn't change anything at this point.
1: Patrick, what like to get to where you are with family and community and and work? Like, what are the skills you had to have to to be where you are today?
2: Well, I think number one is communication, uh, and and the biggest part of communication is the listening portion, especially when you're juggling a lot. You know, it's real easy your wife's talking to you, you're thinking about work and you know you totally get the whole schedule wrong with the kids or you miss an important date. So, you know, for me, when you look again at all aspects of life, one of the the keys to being successful and managing all that is is communication. Communicating early and often, uh whether it's at work, whether it's with your spouse or other work obligations, and, and listening and listening. And also, you know, writing things down. I'm, I was always big on carrying around my yellow pad, which again, I think is all part of communication so that, um, you know, you're not just committing everything to memory because as your life gets busier between, you know, family and work, it becomes more and more difficult to manage your schedule. And to me, you know, communication is the linchpin of, of so many things and being successful. And so that's something that I, I put a lot of focus on. Uh, I'd say the second thing is composure. Um, things will go wrong at work. Things will go wrong with the family. Uh, and I've always been an individual that takes what's in front of me. And, you know, if it's, if it's a difficult situation, I analyze it. I break it down. I figure out, okay, here's what we're going to do to fix it and move forward. And then I go. So I'm very composed in that way, and then once I've set my course of how I need to get things right, I'm a bulldog. You know, I just plow through it. And so if I were to say what are the two, you know, one of the two critical things, I would say, you know, certainly uh, communication and composure – And then I think the third, which we've talked a lot about, whether it's family or work, is building relationships. That's a very strong skill set of mine. I've always taken interest in people, again, whether it's work, family, philanthropic, people interest me. And because of that, I've been able to to create some very strong relationships. And so those three things have really been uh, paramount in my success.
1: All right, man. You're the man. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. I mean, the it's funny, like really, why I wanted to do this is I wanted to learn myself. I mean i I think you know that I want to find people who I, I think do it right and then I want to figure out what they do and then model what they do and uh, you know to me that's the whole point of this thing just it's it's been great, it's been enlightening, it's been inspiring, I feel good about it, and it's an honor, thank you for letting me do it.
2: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and you know, Brian, my skill set is is building relationships. You know, I told somebody the other day, they were asking me the same, you know, I mentor a lot of leaders still at Quick, and one of them asked me, you know, just about the relationship building. And, you know, like I said, because this is not stuff that it starts and stops. This is a way of life, right? And so I told this guy, Sean, I said, you know, Sean, I said, every person that you lead is, is like a book. And it's your responsibility as a leader to read the book and understand the story. And I said, if you learn how to perfect that, you will be very successful at people, which will make you a very successful leader. And, uh, you know, that's to me, that's that's what it's all about, because that, that also goes on in your family life as well.
1: Jotting that one down, Anyways, the person you lead is like a book, it's your job to read the book. I like it.
2: Yep, yeah, And understand the story.
1: How, so uh, scale one to ten, one being painless, ten being really painful. How is this?
2: Yeah. It was pretty painless. In fact, I enjoyed it. <laughs> so
1: good. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna use that as a quote. I'll be like, you know, hey, listen, this is painless. People enjoy it. All right, man. Dude, I, I appreciate this. I love that like it's been what, eight or nine years. Nine years. Isn't that insane? It's been nine years since I uh last worked with you. And uh, and nine years later you're still teaching me and helping me grow. I love it.
2: Yeah, that's freaking crazy, man.
1: No, I feel old. I mean, in the in the time, like I have two kids now. I'm married. I mean, it's just it is wild. Yeah, I know. um, It's
2: crazy, man. Well, good for you. Every
1: every day I think about you. I think about Richard. I I think about what you guys taught me, and there's not a day that goes by that I don't leverage it. You know, I mean, I I try to be the kind of leader that you guys are, and you know, I think you know it's uh, it's an iterative process. I'm I'm not always great at it, and, and I make mistakes and you know, but uh, without you guys, I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing today. So I, I appreciate right. you, man.
2: Oh, no. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad I could help. And, you know, certainly uh, yeah, we have fun working together. I remember those days. It was a good time.
1: No doubt. Well, dude, thank you so much. Tell tell Julie that right. I said hello and,
2: and and thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, B. Tell Mary I said hello. Have a hello. great day, my friend. You too, bud. All right. All right. See you. Bye. Bye. I'm really happy and
0: feel very fortunate to have had the chance to reconnect with Patrick after these years. As I mentioned, I I worked for Patrick. He was probably my favorite leader. I learned the most from him. Uh, I've always viewed him as a model and tried to model myself after him. And uh, just being able to reconnect with him was strong. Uh, One of the things that I need to get better at uh, as I do more of these Strive, Struggle, Succeed episodes is getting deeper into the struggle uh, that each one of these people has. You know, I think that we're capturing the strive. We're capturing the succeed. There's great nuggets to be pulled from that and to be implemented into our lives. But, you know, there's a human aspect there that I think I could do a better job of soliciting from uh, each of the people that I'm interviewing. Patrick volunteered a little bit of it. Um, you know, I thought it was great. He talked about uh, maybe focusing a little too much on the social aspect of college uh, and then having to transfer out and pull himself up by the bootstraps and then graduate with honors, which, which shows grit, which shows perseverance, right? And there's probably so many more of those stories to Talk about with Patrick throughout his career at Quicken Loans and as CEO at Fathead, and uh, and I probably missed that opportunity. But I'm gonna I'm gonna circle the wagons. I'll talk to Patrick again. I, I probably missed that opportunity with Sam Mitchell at Valvoline a little bit too. Um, you know, it's really humanize these guys more, so people like me and you can feel like, oh, these these are human beings just like me. They make a lot of mistakes, which I promise they are, and I promise they do. Um, but even with that being said, if I miss that opportunity, I think there are so many great things that we can use from Patrick's example to plug into our own. Lives and listen. Number one is this: Patrick is the relationship guy, and it's not just something that he says; he acts it. I've seen him do it. He did it with me. I mean, I haven't worked for Patrick in years. He's helped me so many times since I've left Quicken Loans. Uh, he's been a great resource, a great model for me, uh, and and I really appreciate that. And I, I think that just is key to his belief in relationship and his investment in human beings. And I love that. And that's the biggest thing that I took away: uh, is remembering that that is what's important, at least for me. And my leadership philosophy is building those relationships, investing in the people around me and being their advocate. So Patrick, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, to all the listeners out there, I hope you really gleaned something from this. I hope you'll, you'll subscribe to Strive, Struggle, Succeed. You can do that through iTunes or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Um, and we'll be cranking out some more episodes here. Um, everyone have a fantastic day and let's continue to strive. We'll struggle, but we'll ultimately succeed.